Let's hit it. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a wave. Surfing. Give me a city tour. The trolley. Give me animals. The zoo. Give me some sea life. <laughs> Give me museums. Park. Give me a woo. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at San Diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school, you're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. You know, prior to, to, to COVID, we had 38 million Americans who were on SNAP, our, our food stamps. And we're seeing the long lines of people who are lined up for miles and sometimes waiting in their cars for hours to receive food from a food bank. And these are people who have found themselves in a position they never thought in a million years that they would be in. And often these are the same people who pointed at people who needed assistance and saying they brought it on themselves and raise yourself up by your bootstraps and, you know, maybe you shouldn't have that many children and, you know, just buck up. Well, now we're seeing that through no fault of of their own, they're in that same position. 40 million Americans that lost their job um, so far and, uh, so the need just keeps growing and you can't rely on even uh, kind of slapping together an emergency response. Hey, I'm Tom Colicchio. This is my podcast, Citizen Chef. This is part two of our disaster episode. In this episode, we'll take a look at nonprofit and social services and, you know, the agencies there to pick up the pieces. And, you know, hopefully we'll be better prepared for the next localized disaster, hurricane, fire, our pandemic, but it has to start with a plan. And in the absence of a government plan, charity steps in, but, but it's, it's, it's not enough. So we're going to hear from Carol Bascoma, who is in Trinidad and Tobago, see how localized disaster, how they're dealing with it there. But first, we're going to talk to the CEO of World Central Kitchen, Nate Mook. Nate, the last time we spoke, it was pre-COVID, and we were having a discussion about uh, feeding people in a disaster area. The interview I did with, with Nate, the first interview, was in studio. I don't know, was that in January or early February? I don't even remember. A lot a lot has changed since then, for sure. We were in a studio face-to-face, so it, it'll probably sound a, a little different than part one. So I'm here with uh, Nate Mook, who's the CEO of World Central Kitchen, and they have been just beating the drum on having a government response, not so much a, a charitable response. 
why why was there a need for a world central kitchen or a jose to fill this gap what what mm. what's what are we missing here and how can our government improve and and be uh more nimble when it comes to, to feeding people in disaster areas so jose often says that he he wishes he were doing this work back when katrina hit new orleans um you may remember the the superdome we had tens of thousands of sure. people evacuated the superdome and there was no food and there was no water and you know we said after that moment as a country that we would never let this happen again we keep saying as a country we're going to get better at this better at this but the problem is the the model the underlying response is is broken um Generally, the way that that it works in our country is for the first 72 hours, we sort of consider that these like MREs, shelf stable mm-hmm. things are, are sufficient or people will get by. And then after that, it's sort of it's ad hoc. Um, there's no real system. Uh, when we landed in Puerto Rico, the first question we asked was, OK, who's who's doing the food? And there was no answer. No one, nobody. No answer. Nobody. So, you know, this definitely is not something that that, you know, uh, that Jose went to seek out. Mm -hmm. It was something that he saw firsthand. And I think what we've witnessed was that uh, you don't have folks who who know food and understand food who are in the power of making the decisions and crafting these, uh, you know, the the emergency response scenarios. And so um, if you don't know anything about food, you don't know how you, you you don't even know where to begin. And so I think this is where the real power of, of chefs comes into play. This is the real power of this industry at large um, is that you can tap into all of that experience and uh, the expertise and the speed and efficiency of the private sector, but also, you know, the, the, the resources on the ground. I mean, if you're, if you're going somewhere like Puerto Rico, your best asset is all of those Puerto Ricans that sure. know their communities. And so, you know, it's, it's something that I... I hope that by doing this work, we're, we're showing what is possible um, and we can start to change the system. That's really the, I think, one of our long-term goals is start to show that for our fellow Americans and also our fellow global citizens around the world that 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 we deserve better, that, that we can do better. Um, there's no reason we can't be cooking fresh meals for folks who just went through this traumatic experience mm-hmm. of a natural disaster and do it within 12 hours and, and be able to support these communities in need um, in this sort of fierce urgency of now, uh, as, as uh, Jose says, quoting uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., that, you know, we, we have to be able to move quickly. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that's, that's really kind of what, what we're aiming to do. If you look at a uh, an arena, say where where sporting events happen, Jose often remarks that you know we think of them as as these facilities for sports or music or whatever, but ultimately they're actually really just giant restaurants not being used. And so I hope that that by doing this work we can show what's possible and start to change the system. And and we've been doing more of that. You know, Jose is not uh, you know anti government or anti you know he's no. really trying to engage. No, and, it also strikes me that there's there's more than a need of just food. Yeah. Um, when people are losing their homes, they can't find their family, um, the simple act of feeding someone yeah. does a lot more to just nourish them. Can you, can you talk about the you know, sort of emotional connections that you make with people on the ground and sort of how you really feed their soul, not just their stomach? Absolutely. You know, we really believe that it, it's cooking and preparing and, and serving and handing somebody a, a plate of hot food is is a message. I mean, it's 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 symbolic in that somebody has taken the time thoughtfully and crafted, you know, this this plate of hot food 
it's it's not just about the calories. You know, it's it really is about that. Look, we know things are tough right now, and we know it's going to take some time. But we're here, and we're going to be here tomorrow, and the next day, and the next day, and we're going to keep coming back. And we want to make your life a little bit easier. We know you just went through this hard moment, and we're gonna we're gonna make it just that much easier to get through the day. Mm-hmm. And that really is is at the core, I think, of of what we do and and why Jose founded World Central Kitchen from the beginning, because food, it's 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 so powerful. It transcends all of our boundaries. And so, yeah, it is, uh, it's something really at the very core of what we do. And, and we, we engage and we, we talk to the communities and we listen to them as well. And, and you know, we hope that it's, um, you know, can just make things just that much easier. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks. Appreciate it. How do the gears even start when it comes to disaster relief? Like we saw in New York City after 9-11, or after Katrina, as well as the many hurricanes and fires in between. So let's hear from someone who has experienced both sides of a disaster, in a food bank line and on the front lines. Blaine Fisher of Tulane University. During times of disaster, who's making sure people eat? A lot of times it's the church groups and the, the local community entities and things like that that really take the brunt of fixing things after. Taking in people during a storm. And then, of course, the potluck dinners that always fight my old Baptist churches. You know, the, the potlucks that follow that comes through, you know, and always giving out food. It's, they're, they're the biggest food donors in a lot of ways. It's these local groups, not just church groups, but local groups, like uh, even things like the Council of Aging. And in Louisiana, we have what we coined the Cajun Navy, where pretty much just a whole bunch of local good old boys get in a, a flatboat and they pick up people just to help, you know. I'm Blaine Fisher. I'm a professor at Tulane University in Emergency and Security Studies. Um, past life, I used to also be a paramedic here in New Orleans. I come from a place called Buras, Louisiana. If you don't know where that is, imagine Louisiana is a big boot. Wherever your toenail would be in that boot would be where my house was. That's ground zero for hurricanes. So my family never played around. Camille hit, my parents, grandparents get wiped out. Betsy hit, my grandparents then get wiped out. Katrina hit, we get wiped out. Isaac came in, my parents lost their house the second time. I'm like Jason Bourne. I, I, I was like born at 25 because I have no childhood pictures. They're all gone. It's like, <laughs> I'm like off the grid, you know? But I remember as a child, just even a category one hurricane, usually a category one hurricane is what we in Louisiana call hurricane parties. It's where we take everything out of a refrigerator, invite our neighbors in because we got to eat it. Because <laughs> we don't have electricity. So all the meat and people are like, you know, if you're next to people that's hunting a lot and stuff. And all of a sudden, they, everything they've been stockpiling for the local community is just this big pig, hog roast or whatever it is. And you eat great the first day. But after that, it goes downhill. Past that, you know, you're crushing up ramen noodles. <laughs> that's usually when National Guard kind of steps in and FEMA kind of comes in and they, Red Cross and things like that. And like I said, on the Katrina side, I've been in that area where you stood in line to get a big box. It's just a big cardboard box of like 40, 50 MREs, right? So everybody got issued a box of MREs. And now Tom and them are like, you know, they're like, oh, you know, if you, you didn't cleanse your palate first and have all fancy food, I'm like a guy that's like, just give me a burger, call it a day. Those MREs were delicious. <laughs> I thought they were just, on point, you know, the only 
only problem is, is they're designed for military. They're, so they're meals ready to eat or whatever, but they're designed for someone out in deployment. That means they're high calorie. How is it that you can survive a disaster and end up, end up bigger? Like the guy from Lost. Like, how does that work? Like, I just, it, the food is so heavy in the calories. Um, and I remember no one wanted the vegetable plate. You know, you had all these like cheesy chicken quesadilla and you're like, oh, score. I mean, you're trading the things you don't want for something that someone else has. So it's like, like trading baseball cards, but they're MREs. <laughs> like the Mexican dishes were always like my, my Mickey Mantles, like I would never get rid of. But it, you always end up with a vegetable plate you can just never get rid of. No one wants to trade it with you. No one wants to take it. <laughs> and I think that is the thing emotionally that is missing, I say, when it comes to food security. Canned food makes you feel like you're in a disaster. But there's something to be said about comfort food. It reminds you of what it was before. You're getting something that's hot. It's there. It's on a plate. You know, I've been on both sides of the coin a lot. You don't know who you are until you're in that kind of situation, right? But even then, how far have you been tested? You don't know who you are until you've been tested. You got to have a strong sense of family and community. And that's where that dinner table comes in. You know, we, we think we're complex human beings, but it don't take much. Don't take much to mess up that balance. Then one day after that, people are looting TVs and all kinds of stuff. It's like this wild, wild west, this thin veneer society. And if you brought people together more in a comforting setting where society is still there and the unifying force of the dinner table has always been a society thing. That is the real Facebook. The dinner table is the Facebook before the internet of anything. This is how you, you got to know people. It's how you connected with people. It's how you became close with people. This is how you created a community. And emergency management is done at the community level. And I guess as Tom would say, you know, probably the most important thing is getting around the dinner table again and creating community again, how food can bring people together at the end of the storm and seeing how that happens. And that's what allures me to this field. That's how I ended up emergency management. You don't like to see suffering. You don't like to see a car wreck, but you look anyway. It's, it's like that with a disaster, you know, and you're kind of in the thick of it. Then you realize society is not as advanced as you think it is. 90% of the, the biggest things that, that help people in a disaster is not the federal, it's not FEMA. And, and FEMA knows that. And and, and it's not to say that the U.S. doesn't respond, because we do. We do, we do more than any other country, I, I believe, and I'm proud to say that. And it, it, it's become a part of me, and I'm, I'm glad to share it here. You know, often government's response is just slow and ineffective. And so we'll take a look at the food banks and the NGOs that fill in the gaps. And, you know, what does it take to get food on someone's plate in a disaster, what does it actually look like? And how do we get here? After the break, we'll hear from someone on the ground in Trinidad and Tobago and sort of explore this issue and what happens after disaster relief is over. Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach. Give me great food. Tacos. Give me adventure. Hiking. Give me a date night. Sunset cruise. Give me some smiles. Cheese. Give me more beaches. Beaches. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. 
Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. We're back. So disaster strikes and... You know, the average person, they, they want to know what they can do, and someone always has that great idea of a can drive. And um, But it sounds good, um, and, and you want to help, and you want to do something, and you figure you take your few cans of, of food, and you donate them, and you, you hope that's going to make a difference. Unfortunately, it really doesn't, um, because the scale of some of these problems isn't about opening up small little cans of food and dishing them out. We're talking about a large-scale coordination to feed people. And so it is hard to bootstrap. Um, and, you know, again, we're talking about feeding thousands of people, not, not you know, two or three people. If, you know, these can drives that you see, and you see them always around Thanksgiving and the holidays, it, you know, it makes you feel good. But I can tell you from talking to people who are running food banks it, it's it's just a it's a band aid. It's a band aid on a big problem. That can it can's not going to do what you think it does. So you know we know that we know that in, in the absence of a government response, you know you know there's a charitable response, but but that doesn't work. And the reason it doesn't because that usually runs out pretty quickly. You know after the the weather changes and the aid workers leave, countries and these these localized you know governments are are still picking up the pieces, and so. We're going to talk to people on the ground. In fact, right now we'll go to Caron Bascombe, who uh, is a, in Trinidad and Tobago, and, and we're going to talk about what happens after the relief runs out. My name is Caron Bascom. I am the creator of Tech for Agri. Um, this is a social enterprise that uses media, journalism, and communications to support agri youth and other stakeholders in the sector, entrepreneurs, etc. And this is something we've been doing since 2011. So what happens is, so the disaster hits, and then you have all these donations, these immediate supplies. You get your, you know, your toiletries, your canned good items, you know, whatever people send human beings. You know, when these things happen, they care for each other. So you get a lot of things coming in. But sometimes these things go, go missing. Other times they do get distributed. 
and you see them land and then the food never comes. But yet the food is three times as much as it was before the disaster. So the food comes and it's taken by the government and distributed to who they want. And it is literally a top-down structure. And it's rampant across the, the, the Caribbean for that type of behavior. We have a crab in a barren mentality. And this is literally as a result of the government response, which is just poor. When disaster strikes, after the lights and cameras leave, you know, Jesus Lord, things are still left, you know, still have to face the long-term effects. Not having access to food or the slow of imports and it, it shows how detrimental import dependency is and how important the need for self-sustainability and a change in our systems. My friend and colleague, he and I decided to come up with something called the Agri-Recovery Kit. The aim of the kit was to help families who are displaced by disaster to grow food, at least a portion of it, for their household consumption. And so now, we have the COVID-19 situation, which is a disaster in itself. It is called a pandemic, but the effects of this pandemic has been a, a, an immediate decrease in the amount of imported food that comes in. As we know, it is so traumatic and so disastrous. With a hurricane, everything is gone immediately. But with this, this COVID-19, it's in, it's in waves. So we are saying, okay, well, we know what to do. We are going to try to make sure that everyone is able to access food. And whether it's a hurricane or COVID, that is what is at stake, not having access to food. Our food systems are still the same way they are, so we need to prepare. We cannot rely on the government to take care of us. We need to have self-sufficiency. And so now we are going to be teaching the art of subsistence production. So how do you set seedlings? How do you store water? Or how do you cook the food that you grow? At the base of it all, Food was the necessity. Literally nothing can take place without food. One of my colleagues from the Young Leaders of the Americas Initiative, in his presentation, he said that the worst feeling a human being can feel is hunger. You understand? And I was just like, you know, mind blown. And I am in the field because thinking about it, there are times when I, I, I feel like I want to die. And I, would, I just didn't eat for the day or, you know, I didn't eat the night before or whatever, you know. And it's like, what is, that is the reality. That is the reality that structural inequality causes. You understand? That is the reality we are facing if we entertain these systems that are not working. You know? It's the reality when the cameras leave. So that's that's our purpose. We are simply saying, let's be sustainable, let's be regenerative, let's be proactive, let's be self-sufficient, let's teach the art of subsistence production. There's just no excuse now because COVID hit. You know, that's how I feel. There's no excuse. We 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 just have to keep I just have to keep going. We've learned in the past 20 years that the world governments, they're just not prepared for disasters, for hurricanes, for fires, pandemics, terrorist attacks, civil unrest. Uh, we've seen it all. But it's during these times of disasters that we have to make sure that, that people have food. 
That's a basic human right, food, right? You know, no one chooses to be born into poverty. No one chooses to be born with disabilities. No one chooses to, you know, find themselves elderly without a pension and, and who are struggling. No one wants to be that vet that comes home with PTSD and can't hold down a job. And yet these are the very people that that are, are, are needing food assistance. And so this pandemic, I, I hope, what's going to come out on the other side of this is, is a greater empathy for people who are struggling. And we can break down the barriers of making decisions as to who should receive benefits and who should get help and who is deserving of it. I'm hoping that, that we come out with, with a deeper empathy for people who are struggling. I want to thank Kristen Castry and Lori Silverbush from A Place at the Table, Jose Andreas and Nate Mook, CEO of World Central Kitchen, Karen Bascom of Tech4Agri, thanks to Blaine Fisher of Tulane University. Thank you to our first responders, nurses, doctors, and relief workers. Citizen Chef with me, Tom Colicchio, is a production of iHeartMedia. Christopher Hasiotis is our executive producer. Jesslyn Shield is our researcher. And Gabrielle Collins is our producer and editor. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you like it, rate us. If you don't like us, rate us. Just subscribe and rate us. Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a golf course. 70 courses. Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursions? Time for chill vibes. Beach How about a garden tour? Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.